0: for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This episode could not come at a more appropriate time. Guest of our show and host of his own, Speak for Yourself on Fox Sports, Jason Whitlock brings his outspoken perspective on shit. This week, we talk race, football, policing, and the evolution of what Whitlock refers to as the cyberhuman. According to this former Ball State athlete, when you dumb down every incident to just 140 characters, the public fills in the blanks. You're left with callous conclusions about entire demographics that defy rationality. How do we avoid these divisive practices? A little personal responsibility goes a long way, and you can start by listening to this great discussion. One of the highlights of our chats with Jason is his pointed solution to the issues on all of our minds. Tired of the political circus? Start being honest with yourself about how you form your opinions. Want to enact real change? Money can be a pretty persuasive tool. And probably the most well-stated synopsis of athletes' recent showboating, as Whitlock reminds us, kneeling before the national anthem is the easiest fucking thing you can do that accomplishes nothing. This is episode 178.
1: Every road I roll is my home. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You've got Luke here with John in Orange County in Texas reporting from DC, I think. Right, Tex, are you in Texas now? Uh, I'm around the world. I'll I'll be in Philly on Thursday, so don't don't worry about me. <laughs> Just finding couches to sleep on and eating out of trash cans. You know, Texas not only a genetic garbage can, it's also what he eats out of.
2: Hey, Yeah.
1: No good, but uh, all right, let's just jump right into this one because it's going to be spicy. We had to cut pre-show short uh, because who we have on today is Jason Whitlock, which is a well-born family favorite sports writer from back in the day, John's glory days in the NFL, right? So so Jason, thanks for taking the time, man, to uh, to crack the code, hack the matrix, and get on this show with us. Um, why don't you give the, the listeners a little bit of, of background info on you? Uh,
2: obviously, my name is Jason Whitlock uh been in the media since 1990 uh played college football at ball state in the in the 80s uh became a columnist in kansas city uh i believe in 1994 kind of made my name there from 1994 to 2010 started working for espn in the mid 2000s during the television show the sports reporters uh then i started you know filling in for tony and mike on pardon the interruption and I bounced from Fox sports to ESPN back now to doing my own television show on Fox sports called speak for yourself. I do that with Colin Cowherd every day. Uh, but I made my name mostly as a writer, uh, and someone that wrote about the intersection of culture and race as it related to sports. Cause that's always been my passion. I was my, my passion has been sports and race, uh, my whole life. And I felt like that, uh, I've always felt that sports has dealt with race and diversity better than anything in America. And so I've tried to bring uh, some of the values from sports over into the rest of American culture, uh, to some success and to some failure I think <laughs> The people, it's like, we love sports here in America, but we don't understand its values and, and what it does. Uh, but anyway, that, that's, that's pretty much all i can say about so well
1: for for our listeners john before you go off, real quick i just disclaimer we're not going to crack the code on the perfect squat or how to lunge today i think this is a uh, timely because I got
2: the wrong guy for that. I can
1: <laughs> well, well, no. Before you go, John, we, we were talking a little bit yesterday about the symposium, yeah. Um, and and your talk of what's going to be coming up at this year's symposium. It's kind of like well, civil responsibility and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that before this is going to. Before we go
3: be, on, you have to remember that this is the premier podcast
1: in strength and conditioning. Oh, thank you, John. How yeah. how dare I? I was
3: going to say how, how dare, you? dare I. But, but you know what? Like uh, <laughs> we have a lot of guests on that deal with you know, like, you know performance, strength conditioning, fitness. Uh, but we've also done you know health. And, you know, nutrition, I mean everything you can cover the basis on. And uh, you know, something personally to me is uh, social responsibility. Uh we're having a symposium here in December and Luke was asked me what I wanna talk about. And I've been working on this talk about social responsibility, those that have the power to do something have do Something because we're in a situation now where people just honestly don't want to interact, or, or I mean, we're just at a very interesting crossroads. And so we had a great conversation about it yesterday. And I'm actually stoked to have uh, Jason on. Um, Jason, and I know each other from when I played in Kansas City uh, as a you know NFL player coming. I mean, an established NFL player coming to Kansas City from a, a very, very successful team in the Philadelphia Eagles. I came into a complete shit show in Kansas City. Um, I show up from this team. I mean, we were fucking dominant in Philadelphia. And I come and I get traded for to go to Kansas city. And I mean, they had a prolific offense, priest Holmes, I mean, you know, Dick for meal story coach. When we come into this and I come into a complete shit show of one of ownership, uh, not knowing who people are, uh, front office management who by far probably the, least favorite person I've ever met in the NFL and Carl Peterson and uh, went into a, a, just a very interesting place where I thought I was going into this, uh, you know, almost switched on very successful team that was fucking had no identity and no understanding who they were. And uh, it was kind of confusing coming in and uh, you know, there was a, a very, edgy sports writer and a guy that people told you that you got to watch out for the Jason Whitlock. He, uh, you know, was extremely um, uh, <laughs> critical of the team and like he was almost the big bad boogie man. And, uh, of course me being never one to shy away. Uh, you know, I was more than happy to talk to him at any, uh, at any chance I got. And then we actually ended up connecting on uh, the wire. And I think you gave me a bunch of the seasons of the wire. You remember this?
2: I do remember. Cause I trust me, I gave damn near everybody the wire. <laughs> yeah, so so he was uh, we we were rapping about
3: something. And he's like, "Have you have you watched the Wire?" And I was like, "No." So he uh, slides me all the seasons of the Wire, and mind you, this is what like two thousand. I mean, what like th- was there what oh three oh four through eight kind of. So I mean, mid season. I mean, I'm watching this thing on like a fucking pop up DVD. Screen, oh, the good old know? days, yeah, right? And like, I sat down, I watched the first one, and I was hooked. I watched uh, if I wasn't lifting weights playing football or, you know, eating or sleeping, whatever. I was watching The Wire, and it was uh, one of the, still to this day one of my favorite shows, and we just kind of connected over that. And um, I just really always appreciated Jason's, uh, the looking glass that you were putting on, because, you know, a lot of the sports writers have this kind of veneer of like, oh, I need to be able to, you know, mingle with the players and keep this good deal, and I need them to be here, and you never took that. You always, fuck, I'm going to kick the door in and tell the truth, and if people don't fucking like it, then fuck off. And uh, even we had some crazy shit going on in those days, I mean, with uh, not only Priest Holmes, but Larry Johnson, uh, and a lot of the the travesties and the mistakes that they made, I mean, uh, um, what's his name, Herm Edwards calls me in his office and goes, you know, hey, I wanted to bring in some people and ask some questions, we're getting ready to pay Priest Holmes, or, uh, sorry, Larry Johnson, a shit ton of money, what do you think? I said, it's the worst fucking idea you could ever do, the day you pay that guy, he will never run hard from you and you will never see him again. And he goes, really? I'm like, yeah, I guarantee it. And what happened? They paid him the next day. He pulled up in a Maybach with a oh, uh, yeah, yeah. with a, a a limo driver and proceeded to never run ever again. And basically played himself out. So, I mean, it was an interesting place. I've never been in a team that had so much talent that couldn't find a way to win. I mean, and the crazy shit that would happen on a daily basis. So uh, Jason and I connected over that. And then, uh, you know, uh, not only we teach strength conditioning, but we're also big on this idea of like, turn on people like this is not real life. Like you have to be switched on. You have to be able to make your own decisions. If you're allowing social media or being, or you know what the information that you're getting through your daily filter is really driving you and you're not looking outside of it, then you know, you're know you fucking half a human. And then Jason came out with this great one that I really liked, which was called cyber humans, where he explained uh, what's going on on Twitter and social media and how it's manipulating you. And so at that point I reached out to him and said, man, I'd love to get you on the podcast and uh, really just wrap a little bit and talk about what's going on. And, I was hoping we get a chance to talk about the debates and what's going on in American politics, because fuck, I thought things were scary in Kansas City. I can't even, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on today, and how we doing?
2: Scary time in American history, in my my opinion, uh, you know, highlighted by the debate and what's going on in our political landscape. But, you know, for, you know, I, I look at Twitter, And social media and how it's being used to promote divisiveness uh, as one of the most dangerous things I've ever seen go on with the American media Uh, Twitter is the home of false narratives Uh, Twitter is the place where most of the media gather to support false narratives or to be uh, built into promoting false narratives because we've created this system Where if you're in the media, executives are judging you on how you build your social media platform, not on whether or not you're providing good information, mature insight, fair, objective insight. It's are people following you on Twitter? Are people retweeting you on Twitter? Are they liking what you say on Twitter? and uh that's a dangerous precedent because it's 140 characters it's intended for lowest common denominator conversation and that's why so much of our conversation is focused on lowest common denominator low-hanging fruit oh my god uh people sitting by a police scanner the police shot somebody let's get upset and let's monday morning quarterback the police in the first 24 hours and get everybody riled up and let nuance and context. And John, you mentioned the wire, and I've tried to explain to people the thing I liked about the wire is it told the truth about America while making everybody still a human. And so like, if you watch the wire, there's a white cop, Prez baluski that ends up killing a black cop accidentally. He took out, he, put out the eye of a teenage black kid. But when you watch The Wire, you didn't think of Prez as this evil person. He was incompetent, put in a bad situation, and a job he shouldn't have had. But he was really a good person that made some bad decisions that hurt people. If you look at, I point to the Bodie Broadus, the street corner dealer that worked in the Barksdale organization. He made it through all five seasons, got killed at the end. People love this kid. Bodhi brought us, because they understood his narrative and story, but Bodie was a drug dealer and a murderer. He murdered Wallace in the first season, but you still cared about him and saw his humanity because they told people's stories in complete and full. Twitter, social media, takes all the humanity out of people, takes all the context out of every situation, and asks us to look at everybody's action and immediately judge it based on their race and think the worst of not just the individual, but a larger group of people based on their race. That's a dangerous precedent for us as black people to set. That's why, you know, Black Lives Matters and that whole hashtag movement on Twitter, I think is very dangerous for African-Americans, but it's just dangerous for all of us as a country uh, to not want to see the humanity in each other and just live in this false cyber world where you have to choose up sides and you're not judging people by the content of their character. You're judging them based off 140 characters of bullshit information most of the time.
1: We see, I mean, we see even almost fall victim to it ourselves just losing the objectivity and kind of the lateral thinking when you look at some of this shit and you just take it as surface value. You just have to take a breath and sit back and be like, what did I just read? And why the fuck do people care?
3: Isn't the idea that uh, people get painted in these kind of nefarious ways, like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, uh, a cop murders somebody, it has to be intentional, they have to want to go out and do this. And I've been fortunate to work with a lot of law enforcement. And uh, the problem becomes, uh, I don't believe a lot of the law enforcement guys I've worked with and interacted with are truly like evil, nefarious people, Do I believe that they're underfunded, undertrained, and maybe not the sharpest knives in the drawer. 100%, do I think that they're putting themselves in situations where they have to make a decision within a split second that all of a sudden we can look back and spend, you know, 10, 12 weeks second guessing?
2: You know, I looked at that situation in Tulsa that just happened, it was terrible. The video is terrible. Clearly the police officer made a mistake. Uh, Clearly to me though, my initial reaction was like, this is incompetence and a police officer in over their heads. Not, oh, I got an opportunity to kill a black person. This is someone afraid, uh, probably uh, promoted above their competency level. Uh, and but, but again, you can't have the conversation about, the real conversation about the Tulsa situation, because if you start talking about that police officer who just happens to be a woman, you're going to get called sexist. And again, as we as I've just said at the beginning of this, if you look at The Wire and David Simon and a, and a cop named Ed Burns wrote The Wire. Real people, David Simon's covered crime in Baltimore. Ed Burns was a police officer. They show incompetence comes in all sexes, in all colors, and people can get out over their skis and do dumb things and incompetent things that are criminal, but it doesn't mean they're out, oh, I'm out to go kill black dudes. And, and then the other part of the I mean, there's many layers to what's going on in America in terms of crime and policing. But we never get to have these conversations because, we again, we've reduced everything to the, to the low-hanging fruit and just racism explains everything. Well, listen, I got friends that are police officers, black dudes and white, but several black dudes that I played college football with, good guys, good black dudes, proudly black. No one understands from a police, the first line of policing needs to be parents. There used to be a time in America where (laughs) communities actually were intact and parents were there, and the parents were the first line of policing. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you in this neighborhood? Hey, where's your mom at? How come you ain't home? Blah, blah, blah. Parents and people in the community family structures have been destroyed in these poor urban communities. The first first line of policing is gone. People are being raised by their grandmothers, their aunties, foster care, not their parents. And so we've turned kids out who haven't been raised who have just grown up. And there's a difference between growing up and being raised. And so we've, open our doors and let kids out that have grown up, and then we ask the police, you, you raise them, or you treat them better than I treat them, or you police their activities, because the first line of policing has been completely destroyed. There's no family structure. I, I was policed by my parents. And <laughs> you know, not, that doesn't mean I never got in any trouble or never did anything stupid, but the first line was my parents. When there is no first line and you have overworked police officers being the first line of policing and they're not from your community and they're scared too and they're overworked and they're underpaid, shit's going to happen. And so it's like when I watched Baltimore and I saw all these young people out in the streets and then they had that video of that one mother beating the shit out of her son and saying go back home, I was like, there's the first line of policing. <laughs> your parents at? beating the shit out of their kids and making them go home that, <laughs> if there's no parental policing don't be mad when other people police your kids and it doesn't go well
3: i mean don't, don't you think you really learn respect at the home i mean I'm, i i got you know kids and um you know i mean it seems like a constantly struggle to Really teach right from wrong. I mean, like a daily fistfight with these kids. And I always think like, what if we weren't here to necessarily teach right from wrong? Or what if my value was fucked up? Or what if mom's on drugs or parents are fucked up or they're not there? Uh, I remember reading an article years ago that, or I'm sorry, it was a study where they looked at uh, children that have dinner with both parents in the household at least three to four nights a week like 97% go on to college and never have any issues outside of, you know, normal type stuff that end up growing up to be, you know, Ivy league high level kids. And I remember thinking like, so just dinner family structure. Now, you know, they kind of put it around dinner, uh, you know, both parents in the home, coming home, actually having a place. So you can kind of see the big, the bigger picture of it, but it goes show. I mean, if you actually have some form of, some structure or something to come home to and really just a set of values that hopefully puts it in a good way. You're probably ahead of it a little bit, but uh, no, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. And the one that kind of really struck me a little bit is, uh, you know, and we wanted to wrap a little bit about Colin Kaepernick and what's going on with that. And uh, is, I mean, I, I believe everybody has the right to express themselves in any way. But the one thing that kind of depressed me a little bit is when they interviewed him and they asked him, what would make you not want to take a knee or what would you want to see happen as a result of this? And he really couldn't give any definitive answer. Like he didn't know why he was doing it or necessarily what the end
2: game for it was. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is what I like to call twoke. The, The young people like to say, I'm woke. And I'm like, no, you're really just twoke. You got Twitter information. You got a little crumb of Twitter information and you think you've got everything figured out. And so Colin Kaepernick has fallen down the social media rabbit hole and believes everything he sees in 140 characters. He's following uh, a handful of people on Twitter that just pump out negative information about America and about white people and about how fucked up America is and how America is this never-ending story about black people being treated unfairly. And uh, if you fall down that rabbit hole uh, and start lacing your commentary, again, he doesn't need to be any deeper than 140 characters for what he's doing for it to work. And that's why what you and I hear is like, oh man, he he don't even understand what's really going on. That's so surface level. That's beneath a college-educated person. He's actually speaking to Twitter. It's only 140 characters deep. And so it's celebrated there. I've, and I've listened to people that evaluate him in the media, in writing, on radio, on TV. And they talk, oh, my God, he speaks so eloquently. And he, you know, he's just so informed. And it's all bullshit because he's not any objective person. If there were no Twitter, no social media, people would be like, hey, man, this dude sounds like an idiot. You know, he's out here doing this without any real substance behind him. If you listen to what has actually come out of his mouth, he doesn't have an end game, doesn't have a strategy. He's just doing something that feels good over Twitter. And, and again, I don't blame it. It sounds like I'm beating him up, but the media and this culture has turned Twitter fame is like one of the greatest things you can have. And so it, it's like, this is like, a direct descendant of the whole Kardashian movement. <laughs>
1: oh, that's a good way yeah. to put
2: it. Oh, the <laughs> lowest, out the, the out the lowest life tape, form on the planet, the Kardashians. Yeah. You put out a sex tape, become famous, and the next thing you know you're a billionaire and all the media cares about you. There's no substance to the Kardashians. And it sounds like I am I love Kim Kardashian. I really do. Uh,
3: really? Is she a real person? I kind of thought she was like a uh, actual, like a robot. Like I don't even know if she's a real person.
2: I Listen, uh, Probably three or four years ago, maybe five years ago, I had a cabana next to her cabana at Wet Republic in Las Vegas. What? She's a real person. <laughs> <laughs> she looks real good in a bikini. Uh, and so that part of Kim Kardashian I love. The other parts where like this message it sends out, fame over everything, and that's all you need to be to to be successful. All these young people are looking for their reality show their Instagram following, their Twitter following, because there's money in it. Uh, But it doesn't mean that the rest of us in media have to take them seriously. And, And so, I mean, Colin Kaepernick and a lot of the guys that have followed in behind him, they don't remotely understand the business of football. They don't understand how the NFL became a $14 billion industry that can pay 1,700 players a lot of money and give generational wealth to a lot of black athletes. The NFL is 67% African-American and pays really well and changes lives financially and puts people in position to really help people. Kaepernick doesn't understand that the NFL got that big, that powerful, that wealthy, because it attached itself to Americana and patriotic values and ideals. And he doesn't remotely understand that what he's doing is in direct contradiction to the business model that takes care of him and 67% of other, how many other black athletes there are. And so you could take that wealth that he's acquiring as an NFL quarterback and really go out and help poor black people, Mm -hmm. or you can take a knee, build yourself a nice little Twitter following, become famous, and become this sympathetic character all around the internet and accomplish nothing other than divisiveness. Look, the people, it turned into, rather than a conversation about how do we improve policing, it turned into a conversation about the national anthem and Colin Kaepernick. It was short-sighted and stupid. That's what Twitter and social media rewards. There's just no depth to Kaepernick. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that he's got some identity issues based on uh, his abandonment by his own parents. Uh, <clears throat> you know, to some degree, I feel sorry for Kaepernick, but, you know, to to some degree, I just don't because he really should know better than this. He spent four years on a college campus. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh,
1: Jason, do you think yeah, there's a there's a chance, like, the stars align and timing works out where 10 years from now, we look back, and this is like a heroic effort on his part?
2: No. I do think 10 years from now, when we have a chance to really look back, we're going to look back and see how few players actually joined him. You know, 1,700 NFL players. Seems like 50 maybe have – I don't know, maybe 100 have done something – uh, during the national anthem, but the overwhelming majority have done nothing. And look, who knows? Maybe half the players supporting privately, and they're just afraid. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case, and I think as more conversation comes about, these players will be forced to get educated on their league and their business model, and and understand how you affect real change. There was, you know, Doug Baldwin was on HBO. Uh, and he said that some owner uh, basically forbid his team from doing anything, and everyone cast that as negative. And I had a totally different outlook. I think that owner probably is like, hey, guys, this is bad business, and it's not effective. That's a double whammy. If it's bad business and it's not effective, it's not opening any minds to the cause that you say you're championing bad strategy and it's bad business
3: what people tend to forget is that the nfl is a business and the nfl spends billions of dollars to actually attach them like you said into americana what i say they've done is they spend a ton of money to attach themselves into american culture in such a way that you know people sunday is for football you watch monday night football i mean every piece of people's lives from uh you know fantasy drafts here and there i mean uh people forget that the NFL makes a shit ton of money and those owners protect that thing like the golden goose and anything that they they do that negatively affects them in any way and brings negative uh uh you know sites and you know I mean look at the uh uh what is it uh, Greg uh is it Greg uh the guy from Carolina when, what is it Greg Olson Greg
2: Hardy?
3: yeah yeah I'm sorry yeah Greg, Greg Hardy he just released a deal where he's going to go fight MMA now because nobody will give him a chance to play NFL and I'm like dude uh, his assault of women, I mean, is that different than any other type of uh, other players that have done certain things like that, but it was so public and such a deal that it, there isn't a single NFL team that will touch him now because of the negative connotations that it brings towards women, which is a huge fan base for NFL. So, I mean, anything that you do that negatively affects the NFL, I mean, the surefire way to get your balls cut off as an NFL player is drunk drive and do something stupid. Embarrass <laughs> the team, embarrass the owner. I mean, dude, I've heard all of these things. Don't embarrass the team. Don't embarrass the owner. Because when you embarrass us, it negatively affects when people don't show up and buy tickets and don't put on jerseys. I mean, this thing is about making money. And uh, what they've done a great job is, is like almost like a shell game where they're like, no, it's not about money. It's about America.
2: Now give us your money. (laughs) You You know, one thing that uh, I've come to think here in recent weeks is because I started getting sympathetic towards Roger Goodell and thinking, hey, we've gone over the top with the criticism. You can't get sympathetic towards Roger Goodell. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I really I, – we've gone over the top with the criticism. But <laughs> the criticism – I'm going to be on the criticism has backed this guy into a corner now where he can't do anything. And so the NFL, to me, has mishandled uh, the Kaepernick situation. I, I, I think they've alienated a lot of their fan base by not aggressively pushing back against kaepernick and allowing it they haven't pushed back because they have a commissioner that if he did it is so compromised by these up from deflate gate to ray rice to these other things the media shitstorm would start on him that would
1: be interesting
2: well i and dude uh
3: somebody had me on um uh i was on another podcast and they asked me they were like you know what do you think of this and i said you know uh Colin Kaepernick has the right to kneel. I mean, here in America, you have the right to freedom of expression. If this is the way I don't agree at all with his expression and the fact that he doesn't have an end game, he's just doing it to do it is fucking bullshit. But I said, the mere fact that the NFL has not said anything and they haven't pushed back uh, means I'm doing a silent protest and not watching the NFL this year. I was like, I really disagree with the way they're handling it. And, um, and, I, and I was like, I realized they don't want to enter into this thing because they don't want to fucking start the shitstorm. but it makes them look bad that they haven't pushed
2: back on this. And, so let's take the NBA, which is seen as this highly progressive league. They have a rule. Stand for the national anthem. Don't disrespect it. blah blah. They have a rule. And the NFL should have a rule. And, uh, <laughs> but again, they're paralyzed right now by Roger Goodell. And it's one, it's, I have been someone, again, a bit, hey, Goodell made a mistake, he should have never become the czar of discipline. Let's overlook it and move past it. I'm now starting to go back to he's so compromised, the league can't effectively operate and put and, and operate in these waters. And so now I'm th- I'm now today, I'm like, maybe it is time for a new commissioner and a clean slate. Don't blame Roger Goodell or, you know, I'm not gonna bad mouth Roger Goodell, but it's time to move on because they need someone who doesn't have his baggage, who can go take on the Kaepernick situation, other situations that may arise, and start say, hey, look, we have to do business. And they need a commissioner that can explain, John, this is one of the points I, I've been making here recently. Gene Upshaw, when he was running the NFLPA, and I'll be interested to hear your opinion, former player, had decent relationships with the owners, and there was more of a partnership, I thought, between the union and ownership. DeMora Smith is a litigator. All he can do is take you to court, doesn't have great relationships with uh, the NFL ownership. Everything's a fight. Everything's highly, highly, highly adversarial. I think (laughs) that's a problem for the NFL. Uh, They need, when you have billionaires helping young people become millionaires, there should be more of a partnership Again, that you can't fully trust the NFL ownership. If ship. You, You've got to have your guards up and have some cynicism. But at the end of the day, you have to realize these are billionaires that are helping young athletes, 67% of them African-American, become millionaires. There should be some partnership here and not all adversarial. It, 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 so I'm someone that was always someone that defended Gene Epps. Uh didn't think he was perfect, but all this, all oh, the NFL players, they don't have guaranteed contracts. If he gave NFL players guaranteed contracts, it would destroy the com- competitive balance in the league. The NFL players get large signing bonuses, which a lot of times guarantee the first two, three years of their contract. Again, it's a false narrative pumped out by the media that, all oh, there's no guaranteed contracts in the NFL or there's blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I just – I'm pro – the Gene Upshaw model more than the DeMora Smith model?
3: Yeah, I had several interactions with Gene. Um, Gene being an ex-player, I mean, the one thing that, for all Gene's shortcomings, the one thing he had was history. He knew where it started, what he played in. He was there during, you know, the strike years, the fight, the fist fight, and he realized that uh, to get along or to go along, we got to get along. And he was definitely good friends with all the owners and understood how it all played together and realized that, uh, a lot more money for him and everybody around him. If if there was a, I guess you know, peacetime, and if that he acquiesced a little, I think he might have acquiesced a little too much. And when he would come in and present to us and present things to us, guys would get fucking pretty sharp with him. And uh, he was a fucking prickly fucking asshole. And uh, but you know what? That's how he played his game. He was a fucking nasty dude. And he looked at this thing as, uh, you know, this was his contribution, what he's going to do. I didn't agree with it, but you know what? There was times of prosperity. Now, I think where the NFL has fucked themselves is they would have, and I've said this before, if they had come in and guaranteed lifetime medical benefits to the players, instead of cutting that shit out, we would have never had any of this concussion issue. The whole reason that all the players started suing and all these other problems, and what I pushed for as I was a union rep for all those years is, at some point, if you don't give all of these dudes lifetime medical benefits, you play in the NFL for a couple years, if you're vested, instead of five years after, give them lifetime medical benefits. And they fucking fought us every step of the way. The owners wouldn't do it. The management council, nobody wanted it. And I remember saying at the deal in Hawaii, I'm like, if we don't do this, 10 years from now, this is going to come back and fucking be the end of us. And people looked at it, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Next thing you know... You got guys like Cal uh, Turley having a seizure at a bar, and now he's got you know uh, uh, early onset Alzheimer's, and you have uh, Kevin Turner dying, and all these other guys that I played with that are having horrendous fucking problems, and all the NFL had to do was guaranteed lifetime medical benefits for these guys, and not a single person would have sued, and there wouldn't have been a single problem, but because they were fucking cheap towards the guys that were walking out the door, all of a sudden these lawsuits, and I really think this concussion stuff, which... Has not only neutered the NFL where the game is not nearly what it was to watch 10 years ago, and Jason, you know that as a football fan, playing the game and having seen it, the game that I played is different than the game I played, and the quality of player is not as high because what the players have to go through to get there is not nearly as, uh, I guess you could say, as uh, uh, fucking sure. difficult. I mean, think about training camp in the old days. I mean, that's how you learned your craft. I mean, I'm out there watching these games thinking to myself, There isn't a single guy that I've seen very few that could play on that offensive line. I played with in Kansas city with Brian and, uh, you know, Willie and Will Shields and Casey Wigman and those guys. And it's just that the talent isn't there and they've had to effectively neuter it and acquiesce and all this bullshit. And all they had to do was give all these guys lifetime medical benefits and be like, don't worry, you're going to be fucked up, but we got you. And there was that attitude. And I think that's where they fucked up. So like, I think, uh, you know, There were problems in the things that Gene said, but I think when they brought in, and uh, there was a weird time, too, where all of a sudden Gene passes away. That whole thing with, uh, you know, was it uh, Troy Vincent trying to come in, and then all of a sudden he kind of does this weird coup, and now he goes and works for the NFL. I think there was just a lot of unsurety and a lot of suspicion, so they needed to bring in somebody that they felt didn't have uh, roots within it. And they brought in, and I, I don't think uh, the guy they have in place right now is, is all that good either. You know, like you said, he's a, he's a lawyer. He's used to fight. And I think a big part of the NFLPA and a big part of the NFL is, I mean, those guys are fucking multibillionaires. I mean, you know, we're literally crumbs on the fucking, on the floor of these guys, you know, grand scheme of deals. And you have to be able to acquiesce and work within those guys and stroke their egos. I mean, they're a bunch of rich white dudes, you know, I mean, who are up there playing fantasy football at the highest level with real people. <laughs> And you know what? The last thing they want to do is have a bunch of you know you know a bunch of young black kids and a bunch of dumb white kids come through and tell them, hey, this is what we want. They're like, dude, I can fucking buy and sell each one of you guys a thousand times over. Who the fuck are you guys to tell me what to do? So one thing I think Gene did a great job of is he was able to work with those guys for what he believed was the betterment. Now a lot of guys didn't like Gene, but I always thought that you know Gene's what he, you know, what was best for him was what was aligned with what with the NFL players or was getting paid. And that's what he always talked about. I'm going to break on some things, but at the end of the day, my job is to get you guys more money. And uh, I always kind of respected him a little bit on that part. Um, but I think for the NFL to really survive, I mean, they're going to have to change some of this shit. And uh, I, I honestly think in 10 years, they're going to be in more trouble with a lot of the concussions and a lot of the brain issues that they could have fixed if they had just given lifetime medical benefits and just... Then like, hey, don't worry about it. We're gonna take care of you guys. You're not gonna fucking die penniless and have to do it. We're gonna take care of you. I realize you guys are gonna be fucked up. So that was kind of my take on. It.
2: Can they still do the lifetime medical benefits there? Uh they could.
3: I mean, they. Uh, you know, when they did the last CBA, it was a big issue, and um, you know, they did some. I don't know why they didn't push that in because every guy that was on that negotiation for that last CBA at some point was going to be a retired player, and I don't know why. And and I've talked to some of the guys at be- or, uh, Jason Babbin and other different guys that were involved in that stuff. And they were like, honestly, uh, whenever we brought it up, it was just fucking shoveled away. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And I'm like, why was it for you guys that have assumed the ex-NFL players, why wouldn't you guys want that at the forefront? And uh, I was like, you don't think that somebody's going to have some problems. And I think now if they go back and they do a CBA or if they were to add something to it or do anything, I think that would be a major issue. I mean, but the NFL is putting all this money towards this uh, concussion settlement. And... They could have literally uh, just completely avoided this whole thing. All they had to do was give lifetime medical benefits. We're not talking about that many players. I remember Troy Vincent told me in the last 20 years, it's like 15,000 guys have played in the NFL and less than a thousand have played longer than four years. And I remember Troy telling me that and I was like, are you really that few? He goes, yeah, think about it. Count them up. He goes, you know them all. And I'm sitting there thinking, fuck. And I'm like, then why the hell are you guys fighting about a thousand people giving lifetime medical benefits? And Troy's like, they don't want to do it. He's like, the know, the owners have their heels in the ground on this shit. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, so I'm never really 100% sure how these whole things get played out, but I always believe that there's got to be something bigger up top. I mean, the deal with Kaepernick, that seems to me to be such an easy deal. And they're talking about starting him this week. And now all of a sudden, now they're going to start him. And I mean, dude, I, I've read the craziest shit about how, you know, he was underweight or he was taking drugs and now he's not taking drugs. I mean, like I've read all these different things about it. And, you know, they're going to start him, and, I mean, who knows?
2: I, I Listen, you can look at him and tell he's not at playing weight, particularly for the style of football he plays. He likes to get out of the pocket and run the ball. He's yeah. 20 pounds lighter. Mentally, he's so engaged in his little cultural war via social media, no way he's properly preparing like a real starting quarterback in the NFL. If, if – if Kaepernick had showed anything in practice and in his preparation, I think you would have heard San Francisco 49ers players bitching already about how come the guy's not starting. So even the guys in his own locker room, who I'm sure are 65% black, they don't think like he's the answer. Because, again, he's not prepared. Before this whole thing, if you talk to any of his former teammates that moved on anywhere, we have Michael Crabtree – uh, on a show I did from the Super Bowl this year. They just talked his lack of preparation. Didn't prepare <laughs> like a real starting quarterback. So guys have never been all in on him. They, you know, love his talent and his playmaking ability when Jim Harbaugh did all the preparation. But uh, he's not buttoned up like a Russell Wilson or a Tom Brady or any of these guys, Aaron Rod, any of these guys you take seriously in the NFL, it's always been about his Instagram account, his abs and his tattoos. And that's why it's just comical, man. Listen, I, I, I never – dis Kaepernick was one of my favorite players. Anybody that wears number seven and moves around the pocket reminds me of John Elway. Kaepernick and Big Ben, my two favorite players a year ago or two years ago. Uh and and but I'm just out on this guy, man. He he's look. I love a guy that likes to kick it and have a good time because you know I, I'm kind of an idiot. But don't be the ab guy that's hitting the strip club and hitting every piece of tail. You can't trust. And tr- I, I'm not speculating. I, I know what he was doing and what what kind of girls he was into in the whole nine yards. And I was good with it. It's great. But don't turn around when you lose your job. Now I'm Martin Luther King. Yeah, no.
1: Could this all be be a ploy to maintain his $126 million contract and not get cut?
2: I I think that plays a little bit into it, but mostly I just think Kaepernick's a fame whore, man. He's a Kardashian.
3: I mean, you're talking about somebody that would have to be – pretty sharp on the ball to create this whole fucking media sphere. Forward thinking. Yeah, forward thinking. You got to be pretty fucking sharp. And I just don't take him for that. But Maybe his agent is smart.
2: Nah, I don't think his agent would have – because you got to keep in mind, his agent, this ain't no one-off. He's got to rep other NFL players as well. And so if if it ever came out that his agent was masterminding this, he'd have a lot of problems with NFL ownership. This is just Kaepernick and his girlfriend and chasing fame. This, this guy well when this career's over probably after this season huh. he will be on a reality TV show and they'll be keeping up with the Kaepernicks does he have a does he date a famous girl yeah she's some sort of DJ I think on the east Coast that you know so yeah she I, I'm not gonna disparage her but yeah she's she's in the celebrity world on a, a lower job. level building Got her you know, they'll have a sex tape out before too long.
3: Oh, well, you know, I mean, that's that, that's what everybody does oh, these days. Kaepernick goes vegan. Well, it's... Yeah,
1: but claims it hasn't triggered muscle loss. Oh, Jesus. This is first hit August
2: 31, 2016. Wow. so he's a... Uh... Well, yeah. He didn't know that, yeah. He's been a vegan, and this this was at the behest of his girlfriend. He's dead Yeah, with... that's what it says. Yeah, yeah. His, oh, boy. His, his girlfriend is driving a lot of this. I think she's the brains of the operation. Jesus.
3: Well, I mean, there's a... I, I I don't think there's any girl I've seen out there that was uh, be like, you know, we need to be vegan where I'd be like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're kind of informed, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean and, but I really like steaks.
3: Yeah, like I and I mean, I fucking hate chicken and all, but uh, it's bad. All right, well, let's uh we've got to beat this poor guy to death, but uh so dude, uh <laughs> I know you watch the debates and, right, and I know you, you have a perspective on what's going on in America, and I really think that what we're talking about with Twitter and the rise of 140 characters as this like completely uh, you know superficial being has given rise to the Donald Trump era of politics.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, to me, this last presidential debate, they they didn't need Anderson Cooper, they didn't need Martha Raddatz. They should have just opened up a Twitter feed and let people fire off 140-character questions because that's what it was. When you open the debate talking about the Trump audio tapes, that's, that's strictly Twitter. That That's strictly plain to, oh, everybody's talking about it, so we have to talk about it. And and it, it, it speaks to how the media mindset has been completely changed. The, the media's job wasn't always just to, oh well, this is what everyone's talking about, so we must write about it. That's a new phenomenon because of Twitter and social media. Uh, and so again, it's it wasn't until the end of the debate someone stood up and said, "Hey, what qualifications do you look for in a Supreme Court justice?" And I was like, "Oh shit, that's a real question. That's what I want to hear an answer to." Trump and what he said on that bus, I, I just my mother. Is seventy-seven years old. Has worked in Democratic politics her entire life. Uh, you know, would love to uh, discard me and claim Barack Obama as her son. <laughs> <laughs> Called me and was like, "Hey, this is bullshit. What the fuck are they doing talking about this audio tape? This is this is some bullshit, Jason." This is my mother. Blame her. Lynch her over Twitter. I hate to serve her up like this, Mama. I love you. But (laughs) she's just like, who who doesn't have some moment talking bullshit with another dude, lying about some bullshit they do or didn't do? How, How can we be talking about this? Twitter. And and when the Martha Raddis did the follow-up question about it and treated it like a real thing, I was just sitting there like, oh my God, we've yes. turned the presidential debate. And then when and Trump appropriately pushed back, and I, I'm not a Trump supporter, but Trump appropriately pushed back. His basic argument was: you want to argue about what I said when the person across from me has a husband who did some shit. <laughs> All the things you say I said. Her husband actually did. So let, either we're going to talk about what someone says or what someone did. Doing is more important than saying because most of us here say a lot of dumb shit. We do a lot less of it.
3: Well, the other one, and I'm I'm thankful uh, that I didn't play football in really, I mean, the, the social media thing came on towards the end of my career. I'm so thankful early in my career that shit didn't exist because, uh, I mean, holy shit. I mean, I, I can't imagine the crazy things that I saw probably should have never been put out there for, you know, social media and public and all that. And, uh, you know, here's a deal where all of a sudden now they're sitting on these tapes that are 11 years old and they release them. And like, dude, I'm, I'm not condoning anybody's, uh, you know, desire to sexually grope or attack women or, you know, but... Actually, I, I listened to him. We listened to him yesterday, and it kind of sounded like a like a 13 year old kid telling lies to his buddies, you know, or you know, bragging about some bullshit. But uh, you know, the bigger fact comes down to how come that's the bigger deal? And then we just had a bunch of the Hillary Clinton uh, Foundation uh, emails released. You know, these hackers are putting out all this crazy shit, where they're showing cash payments from uh, you know different banking organizations for, for for bailout money. I mean, dude, they're like releasing information left and right, and yet there's never a single question being like um, you know uh mrs clinton how come like you know do you have anything to say about the information dump that these guys are putting out about this uh, you know everything from uh you know how your financials work at the clinton foundation how you guys have given almost zero money to charity and how you know when you left the white house with you know roughly seven hundred thousand dollars to your name and now you're worth 700 million i mean come on like i mean they uh, released the tapes of what she said to wall street i mean and yet not a single person brings those things up So, I mean, and I'm not a Trump supporter by any means, but it's like, as I'm watching the media, I'm like, why is this so one-sided?
2: It's what's hot. Because, one, Trump's a disruptor, and they don't want the rig job to be disrupted. And uh, the media is very satisfied with the status quo, because if things change, people in the media may lose power. And so let's say you're riding some false narrative at some major newspaper on some television network. If you have to go talk and deal with real shit, they may replace someone who actually does real shit with your job. And (laughs) so you don't want that to happen. Uh, And so it's, it's, man, it's, it's, it's really, it's just sad because again, as I put in that video that I put out about, cyber humans versus humans and what shapes your reality the internet or your real-world interaction and so just think about we all move around I'll go to the movies later today and people will treat me relatively well and it's not in in, because John you know out here in LA unless you're Tom Cruise or Denzel Washington no one gives a fuck about you here in LA so I don't get treated well because, oh, I think that guy's on Fox Sports 1. No one fucking knows me. <laughs> and I'm just some big black dude that's nice to people. And so people I'm going to go to the movie theater. There'll be black people, white people, Asian people. But I'm going to get treated relatively well. I'm going to treat people well. You go to the internet and we all treat each other like shit. I mean, <laughs> we can't wait to call each other names. We can't, You would think... If the cyber world represented the American reality, every time I stepped out and dealt with people, I would be getting called uh, you fat motherfucker, or you Uncle Tom sellout, or you hate white people. But that's not my reality. When I go out, I treat people well. People treat me well. We all smile, laugh. I pay my tab, I give a tip. People like me, I like them. That's reality, but over the cyber world, it's like, we all hate each other. Well, the uh,
3: my, my favorite is, I always love to follow some of the comments when you say things that everybody, like, it's like, insolent you say anything, and I love the Uncle Tom statement. And I'm like, that's actually the one that's not what I would call Jason Whitlock at all. I mean, 100%. <laughs> like, and, and, I'll, and I'll hear, that's like the ultimate cast down for, you know, blacks to other blacks. Like, you're a fucking Uncle Tom. And I, I saw something that you posted, and like, somebody made that comment, and I was like, does this fucking person even know Jason? Or more Have they ever read anything or are they just reading the 140 characters and maybe other people's reaction? What I've realized now is that people no longer react to things based on one to one. What they have to do is they have to look through seven different looking glasses because they have no ability to process information themselves. That's I think what we're fucking going into and what drives me absolutely crazy is that I cannot one-on-one listen to you and formulate my own opinion. I have to listen to you talk and then I have to sit back and see how everybody else reacts to it and then I see through their looking glass and then I formulate my own opinion and I ask you all the time I'm like do you have any original thought of your own can you actually listen to somebody uh completely you know unbiasedly and then formulate your own opinion or do you have to wait for all these other fucking talking heads to make a a statement yeah and then I'll formulate my opinion off of this because I like this person I'm gonna you know Anderson Cooper you know uh, uh you know I really like him I mean he's you know, up there and has this constantly almost like perplexed, worried look on his face the entire time. Did you notice that? It was like, he did not like, it was the last place on earth he wanted to be. And like it was showing like he hates Trump with this fucking fury of a thousand suns and you could see it in him. And it was so like, and the problem becomes is Trump has done, at least for me, has done nothing to endear me. Like I've listened to his statements and I think like they're nonsense. He makes nonsensical answers. He sounds like a crazy person most of the time. But yet, is that worse than Hillary Clinton, who you know is lying at all times? You're like, who is this person? And uh, I, I had a, a, a very good uh, opportunity to go to a political fundraiser in 2002, which was a Hillary fundraiser for president. So they had been raising money for Hillary for like the last 15 years. And so I got invited to this political fundraiser and I sat at a table with her and you know seven or eight other people at this big fundraiser, and I got to talk to her for about an hour. And the only reason I really went was I wanted to meet Bill Clinton because uh, I believe he's probably the biggest sociopath in the, in, ever to walk the earth. I mean, the fact that that dude got up and was being impeached, and when they asked him, "Do you have sexual relations with he said, "Nope." And they produced the dress, and he's like, "Yep." And there was zero change. I'm like, "This dude is fucking a sociopath," <laughs> and so much so that uh, we have a whole deal which is called be presidential, which means. Fucking water off a duck's back. Don't take anything seriously. Bill B. Clinton, you know, B. Clinton basically being impeached. Like that's our presidential line. And so I went, but he was busy. And so I got a chance to meet Hillary. And I've never in my life been so unimpressed. Um, It just uh, how she spoke, everything, her demeanor, physical appearance, everything. This was 14 years ago. And as I'm sitting there watching her, I'm like, dude, they, uh, you know, she just basically, it's almost like they just kind of computer program or plug her in and push her out there. And you don't really know what you're getting at all. You don't know who's, you know, what agenda's being pushed or whatever, and even if she's the accurate person up there. So I think uh, for the American people, she I mean, she almost kind of fits, like you said, the status quo and, you know, do we really know what we're going to get? Well, we hope we're going to know what we get, whereas Trump is just kind of a wild card. So I don't have know.
2: Have been watching South Park for any reason? Uh, I have not, but I usually,
3: <laughs> South Park is a uh, excellent, uh, like, like, uh, yeah, I've always been a South Park fan, but I haven't been watching it, lately. We should watch next, this season. Everything
2: year, are you on it? About. Yeah, no, yeah. Luke and I have been up to speed. Everything we're, everything we're talking about right now is the point of this season of South Park. It, it's, it's pointing out uh, the reason why Trump has popularity is the world has become so politically correct and everybody just lies and bullshits that the one person who is publicly willing to say what they really think, no matter how fucking stupid it is, how intolerant it is, it's like, oh, at least he's telling the truth. That's his appeal. And again, that's what I'm saying. If people were really interested in undermining Donald Trump, they would allow other people to be honest and have real conversations without being called a racist, or without being called a sellout, or without being demonized. And so again, I hear all these people, oh, I hate Trump, I hate Trump, I hate Trump. But they're not willing to do the things necessary to take the air out of his balloon. As long as all other public figures and the media have to get on TV, and on radio, and on the internet, and lie, and bullshit, and live in this false reality, the one public figure that's willing to say fuck it i don't care is gonna have value and remain relevant uh i mean south park south park's handling this with humor and everything but they are making the point i it blew me away someone i did the cyber humans piece a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago and someone said hey man you should be watching south park they're saying the same thing as you and i think it was there's they were only on their second episode this season at that time uh, and I went and watched, and I was like, "Holy shit!" So we're not alone. <laughs> there are smart people that got this figured out. Well, the uh,
3: then what's the solution? I mean, that's something that we talked about yesterday. Uh, you know, I've been working on this piece, which is this social responsibility. Uh, everybody always wants to point the finger and say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, but yet nobody offers any type of direction or narrative about this is what we need to do to fix it. And that was something that we did, I mean, in our in our small little microcosm of just you know performance training where I was like, this is what people are saying, this is why they're wrong, and more importantly, this is how you fix it, or, more, or, or this is a solution, better yeah. solution to help to, you know, if you're looking to get bigger, faster, stronger, increase performance, you wanna play in the NFL, this is all fucking nonsense and bullshit. This is where it works and it starts with hard work, consistency, dedication, which isn't sexy. And unfortunately, the, uh, the thing that sells on the internet now is the brightest, sexiest, fucking glamorous, shortcut, uh, hack. shortcut hack, you know, biohack bullshit. Whereas in reality, that isn't how you fucking get ahead. If you wanna be a good writer, you know what you have to do? You have to write a lot and a lot of it sucks. And then at some point I was thinking about, uh, you know, with my writer degree when I was in college, like dude, I, just, I literally had to write until I was a decent writer and a good writer. And it's like the same thing with, uh, with thinking or talking. I mean, if people never express their opinion and you never take in anybody else's opinion, it never helps you formulate your opinion. And, um, you know, what's the fix? I mean, we have a situation where, you know, we have, yeah, Trump does tell the truth. And what's a little scary is to see inside it. that's the truth. It's kind of scary to see inside of his reality yeah his perception uh, yeah his perception of reality because it's it's different than my perception and you know but yeah i mean you got to give him you know at least a uh you know a nod on the honesty whereas then you have hillary clinton who you know is lying but people are almost like well the devil i know is better than the devil that i don't we don't really know what he's going to do so we're going to stay away from him so what's the deal do we burn it all to the ground and start the fuck over
2: we're headed that direction uh what <laughs> i say and I, I say that in all seriousness. We're I believe, and we're not going to go here today, but it's just like this this divisiveness is being spread intentionally. It's well-financed divisiveness. People want us at each other's throats. Uh, But in in terms of, uh, I want to say something real quick about Trump, too, in terms of Trump is speaking his truth. And just like you said, his reality, his truth, different than yours and mine. But at least he's speaking his truth. We hear others and we don't hear them speaking anything but but in terms of solutions where i i just like to start small it's always with each individual person and so one of the things again i'm a sports person you're a sports person we're both football people Uh, and so what i've tried to use my platform is try to remind athletes because athletes are role models and they're big tent poles for American culture and they have influence is to remind athletes about what is athletic culture, who are the people you actually deal with and what are their values and what are the values that sports are teaching and, and are, is what you're doing consistent with that? And so what I've tried to do is through my platform and the media is promote sports values because sports brings us together uh, across economic and racial lines and religious lines. People put away their differences to achieve a goal, win on Sunday, win a Super Bowl, whatever. Uh, And then I try to support people that I believe can influence uh, the young people involved in sports today. Believe it or not, and, and look, Ray Lewis is not the perfect human being. He has made mistakes. I don't, again, I'm a, I'm a Christian person, and you know I believe God will deal with all of us about our mistakes. It's not my job, too. I love Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis is someone who connects with black athletes, and particularly black NFL athletes, who understands everything you and I are talking about and, and believes. And so I try to support Ray Lewis. Have him on my TV show, I give him a platform, that puts him in a good light and allows him to express what he really believes outside the Twitter echo chamber. And so I, I, and the reason why I'm trying to support Ray and, and spread his message is because I think he has a much better chance at talking to a Colin Kaepernick and talking sense into him and other NFL players about, no, here's the proper way to promote change. Here's the proper way to exploit this business that you're in. Um, Here's the proper way to bring us all together and, again, pr- promote change. And so, you know, you're someone, what I would say to any NFL players or athletes that watch this is, you know, use your influence as a former player, as a current player to, enter, uh, to influence Demora Smith and the NFL Players Union to give guys like Ray Lewis and John Wellborn and other people that are existing outside the Twitter echo chamber to speak to these players and try to explain to them, here's what's really going on. Because, again, Kaepernick and these guys, they don't remotely understand that these high left-wing people, Marxists, progressives, whatever, they're anti-football. They want to diminish and bring down football. They want to knock it off its perch as this great American institution. And when they're successful, Kaepernick or the next Kaepernick won't be making $12 million for standing on the bench behind Blaine Gabbard. He'll be making $4 million. And because, again, that's the kind of impact they want to bring football down, and it's going to have a real economic impact on these players. And prevent. because, again, if the NFL keeps ascending, maybe there's a chance the, the union can say, look, you know, one, th- one way you can promote safety is, hey, let's expand the roster by 10 players. Let's create more jobs, which 67% of them, based on today's stats, would go to blackout. <laughs> again, these guys don't know how to support – an industry that's been better to them than any other industry in America. Show me an industry in America that has 67% black employees and gives many of them a path to become millionaires. The NFL has created more black millionaires. I can't prove it, more black millionaires than any other industry in America. And these jackasses are trying to let's tear it down. Or, I, I hate the NFL. Are they're in? They're working in concert. With people that want to bring it down, so what I use your platform or whatever influence you have or whoever's out there is to support people that have it figured out a little bit and try to get them, try to empower them so they can get face to face and talk to NFL players and explain the bigger picture, Uh, because athletes can have a lot of influence on the rest of culture.
3: I mean, does the NFL really? Like, I, you know, uh I was thinking how many times they've asked me to come back and speak to ex-players. I mean, I, I was thinking about uh the amount of guys that have gone and done, like, you know, they got rid of the symposium type stuff after, uh who was it, Chris Carter talking about having a fall guy in your posse. At that point, they were like, we can't have this shit out there. I mean, but, you know, I mean, uh, there's, you know, Chris Carter speaking real truth, which is if you're going to go out. And you're going to fucking be out there on the prowl. You're going to do dumb shit. So you better have some guy in your fucking crew. Insulate that's, yourself. Yeah, you know, that's going to insulate yourself. Now you can't say that publicly, but in reality, I mean, that's how it goes. I mean, dude, Chris, dude, there were still stories after I got to Philly about Chris Carter. I mean, Chris was fucking, you know, on the edge and he went up to Minnesota and he's so to bring his life back. And now he's got, you know, a pretty good platform with the NFL. But if you look at the guys on the NFL network and the people that they want to bring in and, you know, Propagate. They are guys that the NFL views as safe. They're not going to say anything. They're company guys, and uh, the last thing they want to do is bring in somebody that might have a different agenda or maybe talk about something in a different light. And um, you know, all of this I think is is part of the control that they sit back and and whoever these people are that take a look and say, hey, you know what, this is the image we want to put out. Uh, You know, we don't want to do this, and uh, I think it's a problem. I think they need to have different people. They need to have. I mean, shit, I would love to have a platform to go talk to young players. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to go out and speak to a lot of young college players. And my, my, deal is, is, uh, keep your eye on the prize. Yeah. Be a professional athlete for as long as you can make the money. And you know what, what's amazing. And you, and you know how you invoke social change. It's not kneeling during the fucking game. It's putting $20 million in the bank and then going out and actually starting the foundation or invoking some change with the money. I was like, dude, if you want to invoke change, uh, you know, become a multi-billionaire. Then let me see the type of change you can have. I mean, those are the people that evoked real change. And, uh, you know, the-, the real
2: change starts small john i'm, I'm going to give you an example cuz i i talk with uh my guys that i play with at ball state about this all the time and one of the issues a lot of us a lot of african american athletes have uh is again i this is just in general because there will be countless examples where this isn't the case but at a school like a ball state cuz again you don't have to be some multimillionaire to affect change. I'm a successful Ball State alum. I donate money to the Ball State football program and to the university. I ante up because when the coaching changes come up, I want my voice to be heard. And so for the last 15 years, whenever we've had a coach in football or even basketball, I get to voice my opinion to the people that matter. And so I try to say to some of my former teammates who don't give a dime to Ball State, and then they want to complain. How come we never have a black coach? How come we never have this or that? How come it ain't this way or that way when we come back? I was like, Have you antied up? Have you, <laughs> if you ain't anteed up, this is America. If you and again, I'm not. You don't have to give the same amount of money as me, but you should. The school that you graduated from, that you you know, you can't give them a hundred dollars a year. Yep. No, nope. they don't want to fucking hear from you and you no,
3: know, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, back at Berkeley, I mean, when they built the new stadium, I dude, I donated whatever it was, the 35 grand, uh, basically get a locker. And, uh, I fucking got on Tony Gonzalez. I was like, Tony, you're going to give this fucking money and get a locker. And he didn't want to give the money. I think I shamed him into it. And I, I would have to go back and check. I mean, I know I got my locker, but I was like, dude, you played at the school. I know you didn't get a fucking degree out of it, but, uh, Fucking Annie up. Don't donate the money. I mean, dude, you probably got 35 fucking thousand dollars hiding in your couch that fell out of your pocket. Give the money. So at least when you go back, you can show your kids, like, hey, there's my locker. This is where I played. And, uh, you know, or you get invited to alumni, thing to listen to, you know, uh, what is it? Fuck, uh, uh, I can't remember the head coach's name. It's um, Sonny Dyke speak. You know? And what they invited me to go to something in Westwood for that.
2: But, but I say all the time, it's like, oh, we want to complain there's no black coaches. Well, have you anteed up so that you can voice your opinion and support someone to be the coach. Because if you haven't ended up, they're not going to listen to you. It's a pay for play deal. And so I I, I say that to say you don't have to be super wealthy. There's little things you can do uh, to influence change. But certainly with the athletes that have the great talent, they should try to max out their career, acquire wealth, And again, it's like LeBron James, to me, is writing the book on how you really impact the community and give back, things he's doing in Akron, the way he's using his wealth and influence to help young people to grow up like him in Akron. That's real shit. Kneeling before the national anthem is the easiest fucking thing you can do that accomplishes nothing. There you have it. Fucking there you have it. (laughs) Powerful,
3: dude. powerful stuff, dude. I, well, uh, I mean, shit, it's, uh, it's refreshing and it's nice and it's uh, a breath of fresh air to see that it's just not happening in what we do. I mean, you know, and I'm sure you, you run in this too. You're so close to what you're doing. And for us, it's really just educating people on performance and training. And, you know, now it's kind of gotten outside of this deal where it's like, you know, you got to educate the mind along with the body and hopefully you can get people to expand. And uh, what we're seeing and what's pretty exciting is that the shit we see is actually happening on more of a social level than anything. And we're like trying to kick this motherfucker straight in the teeth because I'm like, dude, if you're getting all your information that you said off of Twitter and these social media uh, a deal and you know people aren't reading, they're not really going out there and searching knowledge anymore. I think you're you're not really pushing your education. You're not doing everything that you can to grow as a human being. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing actually a regression of people. And uh, it seems like it's happening. And I really just thank you for uh, pointing it out and. Being a real motherfucker about it, instead of just you know taking the company line, which would be so easy. And I'm sure you know, like everybody else, if you hold the company line, everybody seems to come back and pat you on the chat on the back, and hear the checks are a little bit bigger, the job's a little bit better. But then at the end of the day, who f- wants to be that guy? Which I'm sure he's not, just, me.
2: Not, me.
3: <laughs> not, not me. Not me. No, not me. I mean, dude, I I got offered a job by the NFL early on, and I remember being like, uh, I can't work for the evil empire. I'll be all right, I'll go do something else, I'll reinvent myself. The last thing I want to do is uh, be the guy that fucking lives for the rest of his life talking about what he did in his 20s. You know, I'm like, let me, let me go and uh, reinvent myself and try to expand and become something new. And so, thank you very much, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, John, stay
2: in touch. Yes, sir, thank you.
1: Thanks, Jason. Hey, if, if people want to come check you out and get some real talk, I mean, where do you want to point people to who are listening to this?
2: Just uh, FS1, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, Uh, Speak for yourself, me and Colin Cowher.
1: All right, sounds good, Jason. Hey, man, thanks a lot again. So we'll talk to you later, man. Thank Thank you.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Like what you've heard from Jason? You can find him on Fox Sports Speak for Yourself at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He's also available on Twitter under the name at WhitlockJason. But as per our discussion with him, don't let 140 characters be the primary means of news and information in your life. Until next time, Bye!